breaks free. Welcome. It's so good to see you this morning, and uh, we're looking forward to having a great time worshiping the Lord together. Uh, today we have a lot to celebrate, a lot of great things to celebrate. First and foremost, happy Father's Day to all of our dads out there today. Yeah, absolutely. Let's give our fathers a big round of applause. We love you dads. We're grateful for all you do for your families, and uh, we pray God's blessings over you this morning. We also uh, are celebrating today, you see on the platform here with me to my left, we have a big bunch of white roses. We had an incredible week here uh, at Lakes Free with our Vacation Bible School that was running. Uh, we had 160 kids with us, and uh, we had 50 first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. <laughs> really incredible. I heard, our, I heard our VBS staff were like, basically trying to explain to the kids, do you really understand what this is? And the kids just kept saying, we want to accept Jesus. So that was awesome. And then on top of that, we had another 15 rededications, uh, kids rededicating their faith to the Lord. So it was awesome. Thank you for your prayers. Such a great week around here, and we're so thankful for that. We're also celebrating today our adult mission trip to North Carolina. Made it home last night. Uh, safe travels. They had a great week of ministry. I heard it was hot and humid there, but uh, we're looking forward to hearing more from that team. And then yesterday morning, we sent off 30 uh, senior high students and six adults headed to Louisiana. They're down in southern Iowa driving this morning. So you can be in prayer for Pastor Justin, those adult leaders, and, uh, and our uh, 30 students that are there going to be serving in Louisiana on the Gulf Coast this week. So God's good. Good things are happening. Lots of cause for prayer. Lots of cause for celebration this morning as we worship the Lord. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts to worship. Let's commit this morning to the Lord in prayer. Please join me. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for today, thankful to be here in your presence, gathered as your people to worship you. We thank you for our fathers this morning on this Father's Day. Lord, may all of our fathers here be blessed and encouraged. Lord, we thank you for the many good things you're doing here through the work of our church, the faithfulness of your people. Lord, we just uh, honor you and worship you and celebrate you. We thank you for the lives that were changed this week in Vacation Bible School. Thank you for the many men and women and the young people and students who invested their time and energy and commitment and gifts this week to love those kids, to share the truth with them. And we thank you, Lord, for the fruit that we saw as a result of that, uh, that great week of ministry. Lord, thank you for our mission teams that have returned and those who are going. Be with them, Lord. Bless them, encourage them, protect them, watch over them. And Lord, we're just so grateful that we can be a church that supports the efforts of getting the good news of the gospel out to the whole world. And so now, Lord, as your people sing your praises, we ask that you would be honored and glorified. Lord, bless our hearts as we come into your presence. And Jesus, we want to celebrate and worship and magnify your name this morning. In your great name we pray, amen. Fire awakening desire will burn. 
What makes your dad happy? Hugs and kisses from me that I love him. His family, uh, Jesus. Um, well, bowling, I think that would help. What makes your dad sad? Um, if I don't obey him. And I splash all the water around. What is your dad's favorite thing to do? Go to Starbucks. Play pillow fights. If we go like somewhere special like Disneyland or something. How old is your dad? Um, three, five, sixty-eight. How tall is your dad? Well, I'll go with like eight foot twelve or something. Um, twenty inches. What does your dad do for a job? My dad's a police officer. He protects people. He works hard so that way we can get money to buy toys for our birthday. What do you and your dad do together? Sometimes we would have like a date together. We fight and wrestle. Snuggle when it's nighttime. What's your dad really good at? Lego Star Wars. Cooking. Tickling me because he's like so good I can almost throw up. In what ways are your dad and God the same? My dad and God love me and they're perfect. God helps um, me make the right choices, and Daddy helps me make the right choices sometimes, too, because he gives me a warning. How do you know that your dad loves you? He tells me it's because he's been with me all my days, and um, he never left me. Sometimes he hugs me and kisses me, and sometimes he says it to me. He's um, honest with me. He's, um, well, I can tell that he really loves me. I love you, Daddy. Happy Father's Day. Well, that was pretty sweet, yeah. <laughs> I bet uh, a lot of our kids would agree with uh, those statements in that video. And again, we want to just wish all of our fathers here a very happy Father's Day. We're so grateful for our dads thankful for the spiritual investment you make in the lives of your kids, uh, the very fact that you're here this morning making God's word and worship a priority, that's a powerful testimony to your kids, to your families, and I just really want to affirm you and encourage you in that, and uh, we just pray God's uh, greatest blessings on you as you continue to lead and serve your family. What a great joy it is to be a, a father, what a privilege, and uh, just all of God's best to you, uh, brothers in Christ. Well, this morning, I wanted to share, uh, share some exciting news with you as a church. Uh, you may recall this past fall at our annual business meeting, uh, our congregation approved a search for a new executive pastor here at Lakes Free Church. Uh, this, uh, this person is going to help oversee our staff and our administration and our facilities. Uh, really going to be a, a tremendous blessing to me as your senior pastor, just serving as a partner, uh, helping me to be more effective in doing the, the pastoral ministry that God's called me to as we have a, a growing church and a, you know, a million-plus-dollar budget and 20-some staff, and there's just a lot that goes on behind the scenes managing the church and the ministry here. Well, we have had a search committee for the last six-plus months that has been working faithfully, uh, looking at candidates from around the country, 
uh, trying to find the, the right person that God would lead to our church to serve in this executive pastor role. And uh, I'm really excited to share with you uh, this morning, church, that our search committee has found our official candidate. And uh, this past week, we extended an invitation to this man to join our church family. Uh, he and his family are very excited about this possibility. And, uh, and so I want you to save the date. Sunday, August 8th, we are going to be having his official candidate, vi candidate visit here at Lakes Free Church. This is going to be an opportunity for you as a church family to, to meet him and his family, to hear from him. Uh, he'll be preaching for us that morning. And then following our morning services, we're going to have a business meeting with our membership where you're going to have an opportunity to ask any questions and get to know him further. And, uh, and then as members, we'll be voting on uh, accepting him as a new pastor into our church family. So these are really exciting times. Uh, I can just tell you, friends, we are very excited about the candidate that God has led to our church. Uh, for the sake of his current role, uh, we can't share any more details about him or his position currently, uh, but we are just um, overwhelmed with how God has provided uh, this man is currently a, a leader at one of the leading Christian organizations in the Midwest, uh, oversees hundreds of staff, uh, multi-million dollar budget, and uh, just has tremendous executive leadership experience. And on top of that, uh, he has over 20 years of pastoral experience. He has served uh, all over the church from youth pastor to associate pastor to senior pastor. So he has a, a breadth of experience both administratively and pastorally. It's almost like God took our resume and opened the door to find the perfect fit for our church. So we have a lot to be thankful for. So I want to invite you again, August 8th, he'll be here with us that morning. But in the meantime, please be in prayer for this candidate for our church as we move into this, uh, into this new season. And uh, we'll be sharing more information about this man with you uh, as we get closer to his official visitation weekend. But because he's not formally uh, with us until our membership votes on him, we, we need to respect and protect his current uh, position. And so uh, that's why I can't share any more details quite yet. But again, we are, uh, we are really excited about where God is leading us going into the future. Well, we're going to turn our hearts now this morning to our ongoing series in the Gospel of John. Uh, today is an extremely important message for us as God's people. Jesus is going to continue his words of encouragement to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. And today, as you see on the title slide behind me, Jesus is going to encourage his followers with the reality that they will face persecution in this world. But as we sung in that last song this morning, we are not alone. God has left us resources, and he promises to be with us in the midst of that persecution. So this is an important message for us to hear, and one that I pray that God will impress deeply on our hearts this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray and just commit our hearts to the Lord and ask him to reveal his truth to us as we turn to his word today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your amazing grace, for your generous an abounding love. And Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege to worship you on Sunday mornings. We thank you for our church family, the fellowship that we have together, the encouragement and exhortation and, and uh, equipping, Lord, that we experience here. And now as we once again turn to your word, we just do so with humbled hearts, asking that you would reveal your truth to us 
Speak to us clearly, Holy Spirit, through the power of your word this morning. And uh, I just pray, God, that we would see reality today, the reality of the, the challenges we face in this world as believers, but the promises of your resources and faithfulness to us. And so we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten years ago, I had a very unique opportunity to travel to northern China. My dad, my brother, and I were serving at an underground missionary base that was training Chinese and North Korean missionaries who would then be crossing the border into North Korea to discreetly, secretly share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the first weekend we were there in northern China, our group who was hosting us for the week took us on a riverboat tour of the Yalu River. The Yalu River separates China from North Korea. It's not a very wide river, and, and they take riverboat tours where you can go up and down for miles along the North Korean border. And, and so we joined a group of our missionary friends we had just met, these Chinese and North Korean nationals who were with us, and, and we began to go up the Yalu River looking across at this infamous nation, North Korea. And it was such a stark contrast from what you saw from the North Korean side of the river to the Chinese side of the river. On the Chinese side of the river were, were bustling towns and villages and, and beautiful lush green trees. And on the North Korean side, it was barren and desolate. The, the people of North Korea have literally stripped the hillsides of all of their wood seeking to provide fuel for heat and, and fires for cooking, and, and they just have absolutely nothing. We could see along the banks of the river some of the, the primitive conditions that the people there in North Korea lived under. Every 50 yards along the river, there were North Korean army encampments with rifles trained at our boat as we went down the river, guarding the river against anybody who might come in, but more significantly, guarding the river from anyone seeking to flee. As we were touring the Yalu River, my brother and father and I were on the bow of this boat looking across and taking pictures, and all of a sudden from the back of the boat we heard what I can only describe as wailing, like a mournful wail. And we quickly ran to the back of the boat to see what was going on, and there at the back of the boat was this middle-aged couple who we later discovered were from North Korea. They were part of our missionary team, and we had just gotten to know these people, so we didn't know who they were or their stories, but, but this middle-aged couple was standing at the back of the boat, wailing in mournful sorrow as they looked over at North Korea. And, and we couldn't understand their words, but they were just pro professing words of prayer and, and lament as they thought about their families and their friends and the suffering the people in North Korea experienced. Later that day, we had a chance to talk to this couple through our interpreter. And we discovered that this was a North Korean couple that they themselves had experienced tremendous persecution. Many of their family members had been killed for their faith. This couple themselves had spent years in North Korean prison camps. A few years earlier, they had escaped at great risk to their own lives across the Yalu River, where they got connected with the underground church in China. And now here they were in this missionary training center where we were teaching for the week, looking to be equipped 
with the gospel so that they could ultimately sneak back into North Korea, risking their lives to share the hope of Jesus with others in North Korea who needed to know the gospel. I'll never forget that couple. In them, I witnessed a firsthand vision of the Lord's teaching from our passage this morning. Jesus' promise to his disciples that they could expect persecution in this world, but that he would not leave them alone. He would send them a helper, the Holy Spirit, who would come and live within them and empower them to carry out the work of gospel ministry. This is what we're going to see in our passage this morning, Jesus' promise of both persecution and provision in the midst of that persecution. Remember, Jesus is encouraging his disciples less than 24 hours before he would go to the cross. He's told them about his call to love one another. He's encouraged them in his departure that they would not be left alone. He was going to send them the Holy Spirit. And now he wants them to be ready to face the reality of persecution in this world. We're in John chapter 15, verse 18 through 16, 15 this morning. So another larger section, but an important one for us to to study. Starting in verse 18 of John chapter 15. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, And none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus shares with us here the reality of persecution, but the promise of his provision. The the first point that we see in our passage this morning very clearly is the reality of the persecution that we can expect to face in this world as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, our passage this morning opens with ominous words from our Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 18 through 20, Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Ominous words. Jesus promised his followers that persecution in this world would be a reality for his people. And sadly, these prophetic words from the Lord have proven themselves true throughout the centuries. It's estimated that in the last 2,000 years since the time of Jesus Christ, over 70 million Christians have been martyred for their faith, murdered because they chose to follow Jesus Christ. In the last 120 years, more Christians were martyred for their faith than in all the centuries prior combined. Most of those Christians killed at the hands of communists and Islamic jihadists. In 2021 so far, Open Doors USA, an organization that works with persecuted Christians around the world, reports that today there are over 340 million Christians who are currently experiencing significant forms of persecution. Fifty countries around the world today are rated as very high or extreme in their levels of persecution. For the 18th year in a row, North Korea was rated as the most dangerous country for Christians. So far this year, 4,761 of our brothers and sisters in Christ have been murdered for their faith around the world. Nigeria today is facing some of the worst persecution in the world. Nigeria, Africa, over 2,200 Christians have been killed by Muslims so far in this year of 2021. As of today, in the last six months, 4,277 Christians around the world have been detained, arrested, and imprisoned without trial. 4,488 churches around the world have been burned or destroyed. And friends, we are only halfway through the year. Jesus said we can expect persecution in this world. And this has been the reality for his people from the very beginning. 2,000 years ago, the very first martyr of the Christian church was a man named Stephen. 
You can read his story in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Acts chapter 6 describes Stephen as a man full of grace and power. Stephen was doing wondrous signs and powerful gospel witness throughout Jerusalem and the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious body that crucified Jesus, brought Stephen before them to trial. Stephen gave a powerful testimony to Jesus there in Acts chapter 6 and 7, and his trial culminates in Acts 7, verses 54 through 60. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard all of this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. This is the account of the first martyr in the Christian church, Stephen, a man full of grace and power. Friends, did you notice something interesting in the passage that I just read? Did you notice what Stephen says when he looked into heaven to describe his vision of our Lord? Stephen looks into heaven as he's being stoned to death and he declares to the Jews, look, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Friends, do you know this is the only place in the whole Bible where Jesus is described as standing at the right hand of God? There are numerous places in the Bible that describe Jesus in heaven today as seated at the right hand of the Father. But here Stephen looks into heaven as he's being stoned and he sees Jesus standing. Standing at the right hand of the Father. Why? I believe it's because Jesus was standing in honor of one of his faithful sons who was boldly willing to go to his death for the sake of the gospel. Jesus was standing in honor of Stephen, cheering him on in encouragement as he faced the stones. Jesus told us persecution would be our reality in this world. But as Stephen's story makes clear, the Lord has a special place in his heart for those who faithfully follow him no matter the cost. But you might be thinking this morning, why is this our reality as followers of Jesus? Why is persecution from the world and not peace with the world the norm that we should expect as Christians? Well, Jesus gives us two answers to this question in our passage this morning. Why we should expect persecution. Number one, in verse 18, Jesus tells us we should expect persecution because the world hates him. The world hates Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you, Jesus says. Why does the world hate Jesus? 
The world hates Jesus because when they look to Jesus and they see his righteousness and his holiness, it reveals to them the depths of their own sin and depravity. I read a story this week from a commentator on the Gospel of John who shared about a missionary over in Africa. This missionary in Africa was witnessing to an unreached people group, and one day a group of people from this tribal village came to the the hut where this missionary was living. And and the chief who was leading this group came to the hut and and started engaging in conversation with this missionary, and, and the chief noticed on one of the poles outside of this missionary's hut there was a mirror And this native chief, he had never seen a mirror before, a looking glass. And he went up and he looked into this mirror and all of a sudden jumped back, recoiling in fear. And the missionary said, what's wrong? And the native said to the missionary, who is that evil, grotesque person staring at me in that tree? And the missionary said, well, that's not a tree. That's, That's a looking glass there on the post. And the native went again and and looked in and and jumped back in fear. Who is that wicked, evil person? And the missionary had to explain that this was a mirror and that it reflects what's seen. And, And these native tribal people who had come, they were known for painting their faces with just these grotesque, demonic images. But this tribal chieftain had never seen his own reflection in a mirror before. He thought he was staring at a demon. The tribal chief took that mirror and smashed it on the ground, said to the missionary, that evil person will never again look at me. Friends, it's the same way with us when we look at Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus Christ, when the world looks at Jesus Christ, they see a perfect vision of God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's perfection. And when we look at ourselves in light of Jesus' holiness, we cannot stand what we see. The world hates Jesus because he reflects back upon us our grotesque, hideous depravity. And friends, when we see this reality, we will either fall at Jesus' knees and surrender or we will seek to break his knees in our sin. This is why the world hates Jesus. What's been your response to Jesus? Have you sought to rebel against him, to scream at him in anger, to defy him? Or have you surrendered your heart to him, recognizing your own sin, your own depravity, your own need for him? So Jesus says that we can expect persecution, number one, because the world hates him, but number two, in verse 19, Jesus says we can expect persecution because the world hates all who are not with him. Jesus says if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus tells us the the source of our contention with the world today. The world is the the fallen world system that lives in opposition to God and his will and his ways. And Jesus says, the world will hate you. Why? Because I have chosen you out of the world. 
As God's elect people, we have been chosen out of this world for salvation from this world. We are no longer of this world, this fallen world system. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. We worship a heavenly king, and because of this, the world hates us. The name the church is the Greek word ekklesia. The Greek word ekklesia, the church, literally means the called out assembly. That's who we are, friends. We are the called out ones, called out from this fallen world. And it's because of this that the world hates us. Because we no longer conform to the fallen sinful values and priorities of this world. This is why, friends, no matter where you go in the world, you will always find faithful, Bible-believing, gospel-professing churches at odds with this fallen world system. Why, for example, do the abortion advocates hate the Bible-believing church? It's because we affirm that all babies are precious, made in the image of God. Why does the LGBTQ movement find itself at odds with Bible-believing, gospel-professing churches? It's because we affirm God's creation plan for gender and human sexuality. Sexuality is supposed to be expressed between one man and one woman in a lifelong covenant of marriage. This was God's design. Why is the evangelical church at odds with the, with the critical race theorists today? It's because, friends, as Christians who believe God's word, we champion the truth that not only do black lives matter to Jesus, but all lives matter to Jesus. And no matter the color of our skin, we are all sinners and rebels against God who need his amazing grace to redeem us. Why is Antifa at odds with the Bible-believing church today. It's because, friends, we acknowledge that God has ordained government to provide social order and cultivate the common good of humanity. And that anarchy and violence and destruction of private property are moral evils. Why is the Bible-believing, gospel-professing church at odds with the white nationalists today? It's because, friends, we serve an olive-skinned Jewish Messiah who doesn't just reign over a particular nation, but is truly the king of the entire world. Why are we at odds with the Islamists today? It's because we dare to proclaim that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we could have a personal relationship with him and call him Daddy, Abba, Father. Why is the Bible-believing, gospel-professing church at odds with the communists today? It's because we recognize that men and women are not simply cogs in the machine of the state, but that God has instilled humanity with inalienable human rights. And friends, we could go on and on. Why the Bible-believing, gospel-professing church is at odds with this fallen world system. See, friends, Jesus wants us to recognize that his true church will always be at odds with the world. 
And why? It's because we do not bow to their idols or pledge allegiance to their values. We are the called out ones. Now, it's not just a recognition of persecution that Jesus wants us to recognize today. He also wants us to respond properly to it. And this leads me to point number two in our passage this morning, our response to persecution. Our response to persecution. What should our response be to these realities, friends? If we can expect to face persecution in this world, what should our response be as the called out ones as we live in a world facing these kinds of realities? Jesus tells us, number one, he says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you face persecution from this world. Chapter 16 starts out, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they are offering service to God. And they will do all these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you so that when the hour comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. Friends, Jesus wants us to recognize the reality of persecution. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. Do you want to know what the greatest threat to Christians is today? The greatest threat to Christians around the world today is not persecution. The greatest threat to Christians today is apostasy. What is apostasy? It's falling away from the faith. Falling away from the faith. One of the chief reasons for apostasy in our world is the reality of persecution. And Christians who aren't prepared, who aren't equipped to stand firm when that persecution comes. And so they're quick to fall away. Kent Hughes in his commentary on the Gospel of John says of this passage, Jesus shares these words because to be forewarned is to be forearmed. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Jesus wanted his people to know that this is what they could expect so that when the hour comes, they might stand firm. When I was in China 10 years ago, we had the privilege of meeting a man who had suffered greatly during the 1960s and 70s at the hands of the communists, Mao Zedong's cultural revolution, which killed over 2 million Chinese, many of them Christians. We met this man. He was an older, middle-aged man at the time, and we saw, first of all, the scars on his wrists from where he had been chained during the two years he spent in a communist prison camp. We asked this man to share his story with us. He used to be a professor at one of the largest universities in China, he and his wife. The communists found out that they were Christians and wanting to purge the Christians from the universities, the communists came to his home one day and they took him and his wife and his child outside their, their house and they lined them up against a wall on their house and the soldiers put a gun to his teenage son's head. And they said, if you don't stop teaching Jesus Christ... And stop telling students in the university about Jesus Christ. If you don't renounce Jesus today, we're going to kill your son. What would you do, friends? 
Before this man had a chance to say anything, his teenage son yelled out, I will never renounce Jesus Christ. And the soldier shot him in the head. They went next to his wife. They put a gun to her forehead and said, will you renounce Jesus Christ? She said, never. And they shot her. Because he was a young man, strong and capable of doing hard labor, this man was taken to the work camps where he would serve in chains for over two years. We asked him, we said, where did your family get this boldness, get this courage? What, what caused them to stand faithfully in the midst of that incredible ordeal? And he said, Jesus told us in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, friends, this family had a realistic vision of what Jesus calls us to as Christians. They understood that to live for Jesus is to be at odds with this world. They understood that to follow Jesus is to pick up your cross and be willing to face persecution and even death for the sake of the gospel. Friends, I want to share three words of encouragement with us this morning. I especially want to speak to our young people who are here today, high school students, college students. But this applies to all of us. Number one, don't be surprised when you face persecution from this world. Don't be surprised when you go into your classrooms and your teachers ridicule your faith or they teach philosophies that are anti-biblical. Don't be surprised when your friends exclude you from activities or people despise you or hate you or adults when your businesses or your boss persecute you for your faith as a Christian. Jesus said persecution would be our reality. So don't be surprised when we face animosity from this world. Number two, I want to encourage your friends, resist the temptation to compromise. A lot of Christians today believe, man, it's, I, I don't want to face that kind of persecution. And, and so they take this position where they live with, with one foot in the things of this world and one foot in the things of Christ, and they think, you know, if I just kind of straddle this fence, I can kind of walk this middle road and I'll be okay. I can kind of escape the persecution during the week and then I can go to church on Sunday. And, and, and they sit on this fence, this fence called compromise. But friends, here's the thing you need to know about that fence. Every fence has an owner. And Satan owns that fence. If you're on the fence of compromise today, friends, you got to get off and you got to stand firm for Jesus. This is my third encouragement to you here this morning. We need to stand firm. We need to lovingly and faithfully live out God's truth as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared to count the cost. We must never forget that this world is not our true home but we are simply temporary aliens passing through. So Jesus says, number one, don't be surprised. But then number two, Jesus says, don't neglect the mission. 
Look at, don't be surprised, Jesus says, when persecution comes. And then number two, keep your eyes on what ultimately matters most. Keep the main thing, the main thing, as we so often say here at Lakes Free. Chapter 15, 26 through 27, Jesus says, When the Helper comes, I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, Jesus says. Now, friends, Jesus was speaking here 2,000 years ago to his disciples, to his apostles, but these words apply equally to us today. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus' final words to his followers. He says, look it, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, Jesus couldn't have just been speaking to his disciples here because they could never fulfill this commission. This was a call to all of his people throughout the centuries to be a part of the mission of sharing the good news of the gospel with the entire world. And friends, I want to remind you here this morning that there is no greater cause to invest your life in than the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing in this world that matters more. But sadly, oftentimes, we're so quick to forget where our true priorities should lie. I, I, I talk to lots of young people, and, and I, ask, I ask young people, what are you hoping to do with your future? And, and you want to know what I hear so often? Well, I'm, I'm hoping to get good grades in high school so that I can get into a good college, so that I can get a good job so that I can make a lot of money, so that I can buy a nice house, so that I can get a big bank account, so that I can retire when I'm 60, so that I can spend the last 20 years of my life living on a beach. So what? So what? Friends, don't waste your life. Invest your life in the things that will count for eternity. Live with eternity's values in view. There is nothing more important, friends. Now, as we come to recognize the reality of persecution, and as we embrace the Lord's call to respond faithfully in the midst of persecution, we also discover that God has not left us alone. He's provided us resources in the midst of our persecution. This is point number three this morning. God's resources in persecution. John 16, verses 7 and 9. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Friends, what resources has God given us as we live in this world of persecution? Well, number one, he's given us the Holy Spirit. Remember, we talked about the Holy Spirit last week, the helper, Jesus called him. The helper. Jesus said last week we saw that this would be another helper. That word another, if you remember, the Greek word alos, another of the same kind. So in other words, Jesus was telling his disciples, look it, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you another helper, a real personal presence who will come alongside of you. 
Remember the parakletos, the helper, parakletos, the one who is called alongside of you, who Jesus says comes alongside of us as our counselor, our advisor, our intercessor. And if you remember from our sermon last week, we looked at what that helper does. He reveals truth to us. He guarantees our adoption. He regenerates us. He is God within us. Jesus says, you don't go through this world alone. And then look what Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit will do. Verse 8. Jesus says, when the helper comes, the helper is going to convict the world of sin, our depravity. He's going to convict the world of righteousness, our inadequacy. Friends, there's nothing we can do of our own accord to merit our standing before God. So he convicts us of our sin, our depravity, our rebellion against God. He convicts us of our inadequacy. There's nothing we can do to merit favor with God. And then he convicts us of judgment, our necessity, the necessity of our judgment in the eyes of a holy God and the necessity of our need for a Savior to remedy our fallen condition. Now, friends, understand what all this means. These are incredible promises. Jesus has called us to live for him, on mission for him, in a world of opposition and persecution. But Jesus says we don't do this alone. We have a helper with us, within us. And as we live on mission, we can do so with the confidence that it's not our job to win people to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the helper, Jesus says, who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Our job is simply to be faithful, living on mission for him. We share the good news, we live for Christ, and then we leave the results up to the Holy Spirit. He does all the heavy lifting. That's good news, right? That takes the burden off of us. We can go into our world live for Christ, share the good news, and the results are up to God. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. But that's not all. Jesus says, as we live faithfully on mission for God, sharing the good news of the gospel, Jesus reminds us once again that the Holy Spirit helps us even in this. Look at verses 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Friends, what's Jesus saying here? Jesus is telling us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will reveal and illuminate God's truth for us so that we can faithfully communicate that truth to the world. He did that first for the apostles in the production of the New Testament. He continues to do that for us in helping us to a greater understanding of God's word and truth so that we can share those truths with others. See, friends, God hasn't left us without resources. He promises us that when we seek to live for him and when we seek to honor him by living out the gospel and sharing the good news with the world, the Holy Spirit will help you. And as you study God's word, God's spirit will illuminate these truths for us. He'll give us supernatural recollection of these truths. And as we share them 
with a world that needs to hear the good news, he will bring these truths to mind and speak those words through you to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Isn't that good news? Friends, as we close this morning, I, I want to share one last story for your encouragement. As we live for Christ in a world where persecution will often be the reality for God's people. Some of the worst persecution of the Christian church took place in the 1500s following the Protestant Reformation. If you travel to Oxford, England, you can visit a place called Broad Street, where there in the middle of the road you will find a cross. It's on this location where two faithful saints, a man named Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, were burned at the stake for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hugh Latimer was a faithful gospel preacher in the 1500s in England, professing the Reformation truths of Scripture alone and Christ alone and faith alone and grace alone. And Nicholas Ridley was a faithful scholar teaching those truths in the university. A Catholic queen ascended to the throne, Queen Mary I, who's known as Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary was dedicated to stomping out the Protestant Reformation in England. She had Latimer and Ridley arrested. She had them bound to a stake, chained to a stake back to back with iron chains wood piled high around them. As they lit the flames of execution, Hugh Latimer famously declared to his friend Nicholas Ridley, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And they went to their deaths boldly professing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three years later, Bloody Mary was dead. But to this day, the legacy of Latimer and Ridley lives on, echoing into eternity for the glory of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are here today in large part because of the faithful witness of godly saints like Latimer and Ridley. Latimer and Ridley's testimony would fuel the ongoing reformation in England, giving rise to the Puritan movement. The Puritans and the pilgrims who ultimately came to America and founded our nation on biblical Judeo-Christian principles. We stand on the shoulders of giants today, friends. The reality is that someday the Lord might call us to stand, to stand firm in the face of persecution. Friends, when that day comes, I want to encourage you, stand boldly. Stand firm. And don't ever forget that you never stand alone. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this powerful testament this morning about the reality that we can experience and expect to experience persecution in this world. But as we do, you have not left us alone. You have not left us without resources. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage and empower us as your people to stand firm when that persecution comes. I know I've got brothers and sisters here this morning who are experiencing difficult circumstances even today 
in their workplaces, in their schools, being asked to teach and profess or embrace worldviews and ideologies that are anti-Christian, anti-Bible, anti-Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to stand firm in the midst of these trials. Lord, for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing even greater persecution, the threat of their homes being taken away, their churches destroyed, their very lives taken from them. Jesus, give them the grace to stand firm. Remind them of these precious promises that they do not stand alone. The helper is with them. And Lord, may they stand boldly declaring the power of the gospel even to the very end. Jesus, we thank you that you are a good and faithful God, that we can trust you. Help us to live faithfully for you, testifying to the world the good news of Jesus. We pray all this in your great name. Amen. Friends, would you please stand for our benediction this morning? It comes from Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. God bless you this week, friends. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support.